Let's just pray a moment before we uh, reflect on the word together. Thank you for your word, Lord, that we've already heard this morning. And we pray that what is of uh, particular importance for us will stay in our hearts. And the things that you want to challenge us with and, and provoke us with, we'll do that. And uh, we pray that the things, as we reflect now, the things that are chaff will we'll simply be allowed to blow away. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Transfiguration Sunday. I'm a bit daunted, actually, talking about this. I've been reflecting this week. Um, what a great story, though. What a great story, isn't it? It's in, all, it's in all three of the Synoptic Gospels. It's slightly different in each one, or like little added bits. But we're reading the one in Mark this morning. Um, <clears throat> And as ever, I think, it's the, for me, it's always the way into stories is the kind of human, human interest, uh, if you like. And uh, it's, I, I don't know if you feel the same way, but uh, it's interesting to think about the, the feelings and the thoughts and the experience, isn't it, of the disciples who are involved in this. And I suppose one of the things you might think, first of all, is why those three? Why did Jesus choose, choose those three? Uh, it's not the only time that they were chosen for a special duty, I think. And uh, I haven't got the definitive answer to that. Maybe he was, you know, training Peter and James and John for special leadership within the early church. Or maybe they, they needed to learn lessons that some of the other guys didn't need to learn. Um, I mean, interestingly, uh, in the previous chapter... Peter had had a, a sort of a, an interesting encounter with Jesus already where he'd said to Jesus, um, or Jesus had been talking about the fact that he was due to suffer and rise again. And Peter, picking up on the, the idea of Jesus dying, said, no, no, it's never going to happen, no. And Jesus had to rebuke him and say, you get behind me, Satan, you don't, you, you're just not getting it yet. So, so maybe Peter needed to learn something. In this instance. Anyway, um, the other human interest for me is the responses to, to seeing this transfigured Jesus. And I think the, uh, the, the first one is the absolute terror. Uh, the, I think it's the Luke gospel that says they'd actually been dozing off. They'd been sleeping before the, the shining bit came along. So they woke up and they suddenly see, you know, a absolutely brilliant shining Jesus and two figures by the side of him. Don't ask me how they knew they were Moses and Elijah. I'm sure they didn't have name badges, but somehow they did know who they were. Um, and uh, the other funny thing, I think it's funny anyway, is Peter, uh, and we, we kind of do get a glimpse of him as, as a particular impetuous sort of person, don't we? And you can see him kind of waking up, seeing this light, thinking, I've got to do something, I've got to say something. And <laughs> so he says, let me build, let me build three, three shelters, one for each of you. And uh, it goes, almost as soon as he says it, Moses and Elijah depart, and it's just Jesus. And then there's that voice coming from heaven. And we'll say a bit more about that in a moment. So that kind of clumsy, must do something, I think is quite amusing. There's another amusing bit, which actually isn't in our reading. It's, it's the verse 
following where Sue left off. And I'll read it for you now. Um, <clears throat> because it's when they were coming down the mountain. Um, as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. And then the following verse says this. They kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. <laughs> I think that's really funny, isn't it? But um, you can imagine them going, yeah, okay, we won't, we won't. <laughs> and then as Jesus moves on a bit, what's he talking about? Rising from the dead, what does it mean? Um, so yes, there's that wonderful kind of human interest here. But what did, they, what did they learn from this when they saw this amazing transfiguration of Jesus, this uh, radiant vision of the Jesus that they'd been walking with? Well, maybe the first thing was that they actually glimpsed the real Christ, the real Jesus, this, the sort of veil of his mere humanity, uh, put aside for a moment, and they were able to glimpse his, his shining heavenly divinity. Um, remember what I said about in the previous uh, chapter, Peter had been kind of spooked out by the idea of, of Jesus you know, dying, having to go through death. And maybe this is a reminder, you know, that Christ is greater than the... You can't kill him in that sense. I mean, you can kill him, but, uh, you know, he is, he is glorious and majestic, and he is of the Lord. Um, the idea of seeing him with Moses and Elijah, I'm sure they didn't work, you know, a lot of what this meant to them, they probably worked out later, if at all, you know. Our theologians these, these days have written about it, obviously. And they say, look, the significance is that um, Moses represented the law and Elijah represents the prophets. So Jesus is obviously showing that he's the fulfillment of both the law and the prophets. And, and I'm sure there's, there is that. Whether they would have glimpsed that in that moment, I'm, I don't think so. But uh, maybe as they reflected on it afterwards, they were able to see that. What about that voice that came from heaven? What did they learn from that? Well, do you remember what that voice said? This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. And um, the fact that that voice came when Moses and Elijah had fallen away, if you like, and it was just Jesus, what, what it should have reminded them is the, is the preeminence and the sovereignty of Jesus Christ. He is not just one of the patriarchs. He is not just one rabbi amongst many important people. He is the Christ. He is the Son of God. And the, the voice says, this is my, this is my son. Not the other guys. They're good guys, but this is my son. Whom I love. Listen to him. Don't you Aren't you interested in that middle term? By the way, that, doesn't that uh, voice, that message echo exactly what the Lord said uh, to Jesus at his baptism? There's one difference. This is my son whom I love, in whom I am well pleased. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. But that middle phrase reminds us, doesn't it, that love is at the very heart of the Godhead and the relationships within the Godhead. And we, we would do well to remember that, I think. 
What else were they to learn from this? Well, the imperative of listening to Jesus. You know, to hang on his every word. And I suppose, too, what else were they to to learn from this and to see from this? I think a hint of future glory. You know, this Christ who had been talking about his death and his rising, you know, they they had a preview, if you like, of the glorified Christ who, who was foretold uh, to be coming at the end of the age. But that Christ would have to um, earn that glory, if you like, by going through the suffering and the death. Well, how much of all that they took in, who knows. Um, and as I said, only as they reflected on it, I'm sure, in future days. Did they take did they reflect on it? Did they learn from it? Well, um, like with all of us, and certainly with them, there was still much to learn. You know, uh, even in the, the by the end of that chapter, uh, chap, um, chapter nine, what do we see the disciples doing? They were arguing about who is going to be the best one. And Jesus had to, to say to them, look, if you want to be first, you've got to be the last, the servant of all. And I wonder if Peter and James and John, had, one thing they might have taken away from seeing the glorified Christ and seeing Moses and Elijah, thinking, hey, we, we're going to be like that. You know, we're going to be glorified with Jesus. So let's, let's get a good place there. And if they didn't learn at the end of chapter 9, then in chapter 10 we have James and John, the sons of thunder, um, again with, with the encouragement of their mother, apparently, though they were complicit as well, um, saying, Jesus, when you were glorified, uh, can, can one of us be on the right and one of us be on the left? And again, Jesus has to remind them, look, it's, it's not that way, it's not about vying for the best place. With you, whoever wants to become great must be your servant, must be slave of all. The Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I think eventually the message got through to them. Um, Because actually within a matter of years, James first had given his life for Jesus. You know, he was put to death by the sword, for standing for the, for the gospel and for Christ. Um, we're, we're not told if well, uh, if John is the same John who wrote the Gospel of John. Then some people say that his um, that first chapter of John refers to the to what he saw there. Uh, we've had it read to us very recently, haven't we? Um, so I also know it worked by heart. <laughs> yes, you'll know it. Uh, the Word made, became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father. So maybe he's referring to it there. But one person who does certainly ref- reflect back on it is Peter. And Peter, in one of his... Uh, letters, second letter of Peter, talks about this experience. 
He says, look, we didn't follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received glory and honor from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love, listen to him. We ourselves heard the voice that came from heaven and we were with him on the sacred mountain. So he's over the years, he's held on to it, and he's reflected on this. And what does he learn from this? He says, and we have the word of the prophets made more certain. And you will do well to pay attention to it, as to a light shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. He is already looking forward. This is post-crucifixion. This is post-resurrection. And he's looking forward to, the, to Christ coming again in glory. And he's learned from that, hasn't he? Because he has seen, he's had a preview, he's had a foretaste of the glorified Christ. And he says, you'll do well to pay attention to that. Hold on to that in your hearts. Look forward to it. Um, like, like the morning star, like the dawning star. So, yes, yeah, so that's what they uh, took away from it. But I want to ask about, what about all those guys who didn't get to see this? Um, what, were they, what, did, what were they meant to do? Well, obviously, like us, believe and trust. Picture it, maybe, and learn the lessons from it. And this kind of reminds me of <clears throat> um, what Jesus said to Thomas in John 20, where he says, okay, you've seen me and you've been blessed, you believe because of that. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And that's us, isn't it? And uh, I remember somebody preaching on that when I was a very, very young Christian. And um, he said, look, we have been given a special blessing that people like Thomas didn't get. Blessed are those who have not seen with their eyes and yet have believed. So what about us then? We don't, we haven't seen uh, a vision like this. And yet, interestingly, we've sung things this morning that all talk about seeing Jesus, haven't they? Shows those kind of specially. And one of the ones we sang we uh, kind of stole the words from Isaiah because that song, We See the Lord, We See Jesus, is from the, the prophecy of the, um, chapter 6 of Isaiah where he says he sees the Lord in the temple. He has that special vision and it changes his life, you know. And yet we, we are singing those words. Is it true? Do we see Jesus? And how do we see Jesus? We certainly haven't had experiences like that. So what do we mean when we say, whoops, that we see the Lord, that we see Jesus? I want to just explore that a little bit this morning. Um, I try not to go on for too long. And if you feel you've got lots of coughing to do, stick a sweet in now. So, I'm just going to look at just a couple of little verses that might help us to think about what we mean when we say we see Jesus and how we can see Jesus. So, looking at 2 Corinthians 4, first of all. 
Um, just a couple of verses here. And even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see... This is the reading Sue read, isn't it? Yeah. So they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Do we get that then? So that uh, he's saying, look, we can see uh, the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. We don't see Jesus walking around, but somehow through uh, accepting the good news of Jesus, through accepting the gospel, we see something in our hearts of the light of Christ. Uh, he's given us, as we came to believe on him, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. So, it, you know, when we sing these songs, uh, like the last one we sang, and as, as you show your face, we'll see your glory here. Sometimes they think, what are we, what are we talking about? Are we seeing, where do we see the face of Jesus? How do we see his glory? Are we just singing nonsense words here? No, these are meaningful as we consider, as we take on board the love of Christ in our hearts through accepting the good news of what he has done for us. Let me read uh, also from 2 Corinthians, but uh, in the previous chapter. Uh, a couple of verses there. Um, forgive me. Whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. This is saying that, um, I'll, I'll read the, the previous verse. It's saying that the Israelites in the past, you know, they, like Moses, had to put a veil over their face. But to the, their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains. When the old covenant is read, it has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. In other words, if you, haven't, if you don't know Jesus, you, it's like a veil is, is in front of you to stop you from seeing the light of Christ. But when, that, when you believe, whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect God's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord. It's hard to believe that verse, isn't it? I'll read it again. We who with unveiled faces all reflect the, God, the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord. And you look at yourselves in the mirror, you look at yourselves each day, you think, am I being transformed? Or am I just getting older and more decrepit? Um, and yet, in our spirits... By God's grace and mercy, you know, He is transforming us and He will transform us into His glorious image. One more little passage, and this is from Hebrews 2. And I woke up with this one day this week because whether I've been thinking about this whole business of seeing Jesus or not, I don't know, but 
Uh, I used to share a house many, many years ago with a guy called Tim that some of you will know. And he used to write songs as well. And he wrote a song based upon this. And it has the chorus, We see Jesus crowned with glory. We see Jesus crowned with glory. We see Jesus crowned with glory and honor. And that idea of we, do, it made me, I woke up thinking, do we see him? Do we see him? Where, where are those verses from? Anyway, this from these, this chapter here. I'll read the, uh, the verses now. Um, in putting everything under Jesus' feet, God left, God left nothing that is not subject to him. Yet at present we don't see everything subject to him, but, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. We are living, and I think Ashley talked about this a couple of weeks ago, didn't they? We're living in that in-between period, aren't we? We're in the kingdom of God, but we don't see its fullness yet. And similarly, you know, we, we know Christ, and we have come to accept him. We don't see the fullness of his glory yet, maybe, till, till, he, till the end of the age, when he takes us to, to be with himself. But we see him in our minds, in our hearts. And then in the next chapter, he says this, the writer to the Hebrews. Therefore, holy brothers, fix your thoughts on Jesus. How do we see him? Fixing your thoughts on him. Where does this leave us then? What kind of instructions can we give ourselves about seeing Jesus? Seeing the glory of God, or seeing the glory of Christ, or just simply seeing him in our lives? And just a few little thoughts at the end. And the first one is this. If you, I wonder if you've had your own experience of, maybe not, you know, it won't be as dynamic, no doubt, as this transfiguration that those three guys were allowed to see. But maybe you've had your own uh, important spiritual landmark experience. It could have been at your conversion. It could have been at your baptism. It could have been at your confirmation. It could be that some of you have been, you know, touched on a particular occasion with a sense of the Holy Spirit filling you or anointing you or baptizing you or simply touching you in some way and you, you felt it significantly. What I would say about that is you can't live in that forever, undoubtedly. You've got to walk down that mountain. But hold on to that memory. Hold on to that experience. And savor it and cherish it and treasure it. As a, as a reminder of God's grace and goodness that impels you forward to remind you to hold on to, to till, as Peter says, you know, till the, the day spring dawns in our hearts. Till that Jesus returns in his glory to take us. Hold on uh, to that. Second thing I would say is, don't be afraid of imagination. Don't be afraid to use your imagination in picturing Christ. When we read the Gospels, you know, the imag- our Im- ability to imagine is a God-given gift. Um, and let's use it in our prayer life, in our, in our reading, in our thoughts, um, to picture Christ. And I'll give you a, a, a for instance. 
and this might be a very personal thing, but for me, very often in the communion service, you know, it comes alive for me. When I picture the hands that offer the cup, the hands that give the, the bread, I picture the hands of Jesus uh, offering them and saying, this is my body given for you, this is my blood given for you. Because in, with our imaginations, we can do that. Don't be afraid of using it. Third thing I would say is, let's do what the, the writer of the Hebrews says, fix our thoughts on Jesus, you know. Um, we, won't, we won't go around seeing pictures of Jesus, you know, walking everywhere. It doesn't work like that. But we can fix our thoughts, remembering him as someone who has conquered death, someone who gave his life for us, who overcome, overcame death for us, and so that we, as Ashley reminded us recently, can reign in life because of him. Um, and lastly, and I just kind of jotted this earlier on, in some kind of maybe poetic way, we can also kind of see him, can't we, in the lives of the people that are around us, in the lives of those that we worship with, in the lives of those we serve as well. We can see Christ there. Um, yeah. That's enough for me, I think. Let's remember those, that voice. This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. Amen. Mm -hmm.